We're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Let's go ahead and read there. It says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-spelling Savior. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of things. For this you know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. He says in verse 7, Be ye therefore partakers, be not ye therefore partakers with them. And uh, let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Brother Ricky, would you pray for us? Alright, tonight I want to talk to you about the, uh, the to be's and not to be's of a Christian. The to be's and not to be's of a Christian. And uh, we're going to look at, at both those. There's your two points right there. To be, not to be. Alright, now the, I want to start out by talking about that word be. And you actually see that, we're going to see it several times in our verses here. But the very first word in, in chapter 5 verse 1 is be. The word be. He says, be therefore followers of God. Uh, the word be is so important in the life of a believer. It's, it's so important in a church and in God's kingdom altogether uh, because we are people who are so focused on not being, but so focused on doing. You ever notice that about us? We're, we're always focused on what we can do. What can I do for God? What what should I be doing for God? And all this and that. Uh, you know, we, we have to do this. We have to do that. Most of us, if you haven't noticed, our schedules are packed with things we have to do. Right? We've got to do this for this person. We've got to do this for the family. We've got to do this for something over here. There's just all this doing that's going on. Now, let me say, I'm not advocating that we should stop doing But what I am saying is that the being something is much more important than doing something. And I hope we'll see that as we uh, we get through this message. Now the question that, uh, that most of us ask so frequently is, Lord, what do you want me to do? Anybody ever just ask God that question? Lord, what do you want me to do? Um, you know, what, what is it that you have for my life? What do you want me to be doing right now? And that's something that I think is just so ingrained our, in our culture that we constantly have to be doing something. That's what we're constantly asking God. What do you want me to do? And I have, you know, one of the things that perplex more, more Christians than just about anything else is uh, they come to me with questions on what does God want me to do? Right? And, and that's something that's, that's troubled all of us. You know, I, I just want to know. And I've asked, and I've asked, and I've prayed, and I've prayed, but I just don't know what God wants me to do. And when I give this answer, most people look at me like I'm crazy, but I think really the question we should be asking is, Lord, what do you want me to be? We have to focus on what we're supposed to be before we start focusing on what we're supposed to do. Because until you become the kind of Christian and the kind of person that God wants you to be, He's probably not going to give you much to do. Does that make sense? Alright. You don't send a fool on an errand meant for someone with wisdom, do you? And so what does God want us to do? He wants us to be wise before He gives us those jobs that are meant for people with wisdom. And, uh, and so if you don't like that, just read Proverbs. He'll tell you that over and over again. Uh, but, you know, the point is, is that it's being is so much more important than just doing something. 
And, uh, and so we've all heard that expression, lipstick on a pig. Y'all heard that before? And uh, you could put lipstick on a pig, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a pig, you know. And so without changing its nature, um, it doesn't do much to change its looks. And I think many of us try to mask uh, what we are by attempting to change what we do. If I can do this for God and this for God and this for God and this for God, that will make me a good Christian God says, no, you have to be a Christian first. You have to be surrendered to me first. Then you'll be able to do all these other things. We get the cart before the horse many times. And so this never works. We first must let God change what we are. And once we start being the right things, then we will naturally start doing the right things. Now, here's the thing about being the right things. Like many other things in the Christian life, we can't do it without God, but he won't do it without us. And there's a balance there that we have to take into mind. Uh, one of the things that RU has really brought and enriched my life with is the understanding of who I am in Christ and the fact that I can't do anything without Him. That if I don't abide in Him, uh, without Him, I am nothing. And, uh, you know, and sometimes if I'm not careful, um, I'll start leaning on the side, well, it's not about what I do, it's about what God's doing in my life. And, and that is very important, but there, there has to be a balance there because God's not going to turn us into puppets and He's not going to force us to do the right things. There is that responsibility where we have to make the choice to say, I'm going to be obedient to what God has said. I'm going to be obedient to the Spirit of God. And once we change that about our will and we're willing to give our lives, willing to be obedient and willing to do whatever it is or change whatever it is that God's leading us to, then he'll begin to make those changes in our lives. And so, again, I want you to think of it this way. We cannot be the kind of Christian we should be without God, but God will not change us into the Christian we should be without us. There, it, there's responsibility on both parts. And so God's always going to do his job. It, without fail, God is always going to do His job. Where we stumble and fall is where we're failing to do our part of that. And our part is always surrender and obedience. And faith, of course. And so uh, that's what we're looking at today is, is on becoming and being uh, the right kind of people, the right kind of Christians. This means that the power to change what we are is only found in God. But that power does not begin working in our behalf until we willingly start taking steps in the right direction. So today we're going to talk about uh, what we are and how to, to be and, or what we are to be and not to be as Christians. But listen, don't walk away thinking that God is going to do this for you on yourself. He is going to require faith. He is going to require obedience. And He's going to require prayer and other things on your part. We have to be willing to do those things if we are to walk with God and, and to be the kind of Christians He wants now, again, our sermon is two points. Number one, I'm going to keep this real simple today. Point number one, be godly. Pretty simple, right? Be godly. And we really find that in the first two verses. Now, he tells us in verse one that the way we are to be godly is by being imitators of God. If you look at verse one, chapter five, verse one, be therefore followers of God as dear children. And what is interesting about that word follower is that it comes from the Greek word mimetes, which means mime, or we also get that word mime. Now, who knows what a mime is? Y'all watch the mime? Oh, come on. Y'all know what a mime is, right? All right. 
This means raise your hand if you know what a mime is. It is okay to raise hands in church. Okay, there we go. We know what a mime is. All right. Now, aside from being annoying, what is the job of a mime? To imitate. To, to mimic other things. And if you ever watch a mime, now I do get a kick out of, out of watching them as long as they stay away from me. You know, there, there is a, a distance factor that needs to stay in place there. Um, because they pick on you if they get close to you. You've got to watch them. Uh, but what they do is they start imitating. They'll imitate someone, you know, climbing a rope. They'll imitate someone in a box. And if you get close enough, they'll imitate you. They'll start walking behind you or imitating your movements and your things that you're doing and stuff like that. And that's what they do. They imitate others. And this is exactly what it says here. In the same way, we are to be imitators of God. We are to watch God. We're to find out what God does. We're to mimic everything about Him that we possibly can. And uh, the word Christian itself, very interestingly... The word Christian means Christ-like. Another way to explain what a Christian is, is a Christ imitator. And as we see what Christ does, we see how He acted, we see how He spoke, we see the choices He made, we see the places He went, we see what He devoted His life to, we, we find all those things out about Him, and then we, through the Spirit of God, begin trying to imitate all those things about Him that we can and any time that God begins to show us where our lives or our attitudes or whatever it may be, our words or actions are differing from Christ, we have to start making those adjustments so that we can truly be uh, imitators of God. I want you to notice in verse 1, there's, there's a couple ways that we're to be imitators here. And first of all, we see that we're to imitate God as children. And that's exactly what it says in verse verse. Be followers or imitators of God. How? He says, as dear children, as or as beloved children. Uh, some of the best memories, I'm going to just take Josh for example uh, tonight. But some of the best memories from Josh's younger days were watching him look at me and, and try to mimic what I was doing. And uh, he, he doesn't know that and probably is going to squirm until I get done talking here. But uh, the truth is, is that when he was younger, <clears throat> from about three on up until just probably recently here, um, he would try to imitate anything that I would do. If I was sitting over on the couch and I had my arms crossed or something like that, you know, he, he'd look over and he'd, uh, he'd cross his arms, you know. And he'd watch me. If I moved my leg this way, he'd kick my leg up over, he'd do the same thing. If I shifted my butt, he would do the same thing. And sometimes he did that just to bother me, but a lot of times he did it because he was just trying, he wanted to be like dad. Now, he wants to be as different from dad as he possibly can right now. You know, he's getting to that point in his life, but there was a day where he would, uh, he would imitate me. If I wore a tie, he wore a tie, you know. He, he would see me get up and put my suit and tie on and everything. He'd come out and he'd say, look, I'm dressed like daddy, you know, and have his tie on. And, and uh, I've, I've got pictures of all this and I almost, I was, uh, I was almost going to show those tonight, but I decided not to. If daddy was working in the yard, he, he wanted to work in the yard as well. And I remember this one time we, uh, when we lived over on Maryland Avenue, which is the first place we lived right after we moved here. Uh, we were over there and Josh was like maybe five years old, something like that, and uh, I was working out in the backyard, and I had some kind of garden, or I was doing something back there. I, I forgot what I was working on. Uh, but I, I look where I see something out of the corner of my eye, and I look over there, and Josh is, he's coming around the corner, and he's got a, he's got a toy toolbox, 
and uh, he's got a hard hat on and, and sunglasses. He's got his safety glasses on. And uh, he walks back there, and he starts fixing the gate. Now, there wasn't anything wrong with the gate, but he spent about 20 minutes fixing that gate back there. While I was doing my thing, he's over there working on the gate. What he, he saw me working out, he wanted, to, he wanted to imitate what I was doing. Now, I wasn't wearing a hard hat, and I didn't have any uh, cool sunglasses on, but you know that's what he was wearing to, to be like that that day. You know, I believe that's the idea behind the verse that we're looking at here, is that whatever we see God doing, that needs to be what we immediately start doing ourselves. And so if we see that God is merciful, we need to be merciful. If we look over and we see that God uh, doesn't like something, then we need to stop liking that as well. I remember uh, my dad, now, now I would do the same thing, I'm big on Josh, but I would do the same thing when I was a kid. Now, if my dad was doing something, man, I want to be just like him. And my dad, for don't hold this against my dad, but for the longest time, he would watch and listen to uh, Rush Limbaugh. And Rush Limbaugh, if you don't know anything about him, he's very outspoken about his opinions and stuff. And, uh, and dad loved to listen to Rush Limbaugh, and he would repeat Rush Limbaugh. And I heard I was indoctrinated with Rush Limbaugh for at least two or three years of my life. And I remember being out one day and... Um, and something was said about Bill Clinton. And I said, I don't like Bill Clinton. You know, and I, I don't know how old I was. My uncle looked at me and he said, he said, now, was that you saying that? Or is that you repeating what you've heard? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my uncle just kind of got up. He said, well, you, gotta, you have to form your own opinions and stuff. But the truth was, I saw my dad and, and you know, even in his political views, the things that, things that he would state, things that he liked or didn't like, you know, I began taking those things on myself. Now, that's where parents, we have to be very careful what we do because your child will imitate the things that you say and the things that you do. So we do have to be careful about that. But he says as dear children that we are to be in the same way imitators of God. And so if we see God doing something, if we see God acting a certain way, we need to do all we can to begin aligning ourselves with that and and mimicking those things that we see in God. Whatever we see God doing, we try our best to do it too. Now, not only are we to be imitators of God as dear children, but we're also, we find in verse 2, we're to imitate Christ in love. If you look at verse 2, it says, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So in one way, we're to imitate God by, you know, he is our father and we want to be as much like him as we can. But we're also to imitate our big brother, Christ, our Savior, and, uh, and to follow all the things that we see him doing. And specifically here, it says to follow him or to walk in his footsteps of love. And our lives, as Christ was, our lives need to be characterized by love. When people see us and they see our actions, you know, even if we do the wrong thing, or we do something that may rub them the wrong way, they at least need to see that it's, we're at least attempting to do it in love. And everything that we do, uh, we're walking in love. Just as Christ loved us, and just as He offered His life for us, we need to be offering ourselves, we need to be uh, sacrificing ourselves for others as well. So point number one is be godly. Point number two, we're keeping it simple. Point number two, don't be ungodly. How about that? Don't be ungodly. I think we can remember these tonight. Be godly. Don't be ungodly. All right, number two, verses three through seven is where we're looking here. 
Now, this section begins with three characteristics that are never to be named among us after being saved. And that's what this phrase means. If you look at verse 3, it says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saint. Now, when it says as become a saint, it's not necessarily saying after you become saved, but it's, it's saying this is what's proper for saved people. What is proper for is becoming of saved people that we never, ever have once mentioned about us that we are fornicators, that we are people who are unclean, or that we are people who are, uh, what's the third one there, covet, you know, that we covet other things, or we have covetousness in our lives. And all three are talking about the sinful desires that we have. You know, fornication has to do with that idea of being um, impure. Of having impure thoughts and being involved in impure actions, you know, those things that that go through our mind and pass through our mind and stay in our mind that don't need to be there, desires that really need to be, uh, you know, directed towards our our wives or ladies towards our husbands and singles towards nobody. Uncleanness kind of gives that same fact. It's not just our thoughts, it's not just our action, but our whole mindset. Just having an impure and an unclean or an unclean mindset. And then covetousness is desiring the things that others have. If we were to keep this in line, it would be desiring someone else's husband or wife, or it could be desiring the things that another person has. Wanting them, why don't I have that? Why can't I have that? He says, do not let those things be once named among you. In other words, don't ever put yourself in a situation where someone could accuse you even one time of these things being in your life. Next, we're given three forms of speech that are to be forsaken. I want you to notice this pattern of three here. We have three characteristics that are never to be named among us. We have three forms of speech that are completely to be forsaken. In verse 4, he says, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of things. And we have this, he says, these are not convenient, meaning these are also things that are not becoming of Christians. These are not proper for Christians to be engaged in. You know, we need to watch what we think about, and we need to watch what we do. But let me tell you, the things that we say are just as important. Sometimes we can do more damage with our words than we can with anything else that we do. And Paul tells us here through the Spirit, or the Spirit tells us through Paul here, that we are to be very watchful and very mindful of the things that come out of our mouth. Now he notices three things, or he mentions three things here that I want us to notice. He says, first of all, that no filthiness needs to be coming out of our mouths. In other words, no talking dirty. Some of y'all are in the workplace, some of y'all are in school, and you hear a lot of dirty things that are being said, that are being talked about, filthy things, that as soon as they come from your mouth, or as soon as you hear them come from somebody else's mouth, you immediately, you feel dirty. You know that this is is something I'm not supposed to be discussing, it's not something I'm supposed to be talking about. I want to just mention something here. I believe that 
listening to it and being a part of the conversation, even if you never say it, makes you just as guilty as if you were saying it yourself. So let me put it this way. I don't know that anybody stands around water coolers at work anymore, but we'll put it this way. If everybody's standing around the water cooler and one person is talking filthy and you stand around and laugh with them, you're just as guilty as the person saying it. Much less if you are repeating or adding on to the same types of jokes or the same types of of filthiness that's going on. And so he says that no filthiness, you don't need to be involved in any of that filthiness. And and kids uh, and and our teens that are in school, uh, you need to pay attention when, when those kids are sitting around talking about all that stuff, you need to excuse yourself from that conversation as Christian. Yeah, listen, if you weren't a part of this church, I wouldn't say this to you. But as a part of this church, I'm telling you that as Christians and members of Calvary Baptist Church, you need to separate yourself from that kind of talk. Amen. You need to pull yourself back from those kind of conversations. I'm not saying you've got to call them out or, or saying that you've got to tattle on them or, or tell them to stop or whatever. But you don't have to stand around and listen to it either. He says, no filthiness. And look at this. The next thing is, no foolish talking. So no talking dirty and no talking silliness either. Now, this is something I think if we were to take this literally and and take this in the wrong context, I think we'd all be up at the altar repenting uh, here tonight. Because I've been around some of us and uh, we, we do talk some silliness sometimes. But I don't think that it's saying that we can't joke. I don't think it's saying that we can't have a sense of humor. I think it's talking about foolish talking. That's exactly what it says here. Just talking foolishness. Saying, just saying silly things. And uh, not, not in joke, not in humor, but just things that pertain to foolish people. If that makes any sense. Arguing about stuff that don't matter. Or just, just talking and, and our dialogue being about just goofiness instead of you know, about right things. And of course, we're talking about silliness that leads to sin. And silliness that leads to gossip or silliness that leads to other the, to things that, that God condemns. We're not saying we can't have a sense of humor or, or find things funny. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. And then he also says, uh, the third thing here is, um, is jesting. And uh, this is talking about coarse, coarse joking or, uh, or, you know, basically coarse jesting with someone else. And this is where you're poking fun at other people is what that coarse jesting is talking about that to talking harshly to others and listen I you know um, sometimes when I read through these I try to give myself a clean bill of health and say well praise God I don't do any of that you know I'm not, I don't cuss I don't use foul language uh, I don't do any of those other things but you know I, I have to admit and I think it's I think it's important for us to know where our faults are, and that's where we need to be praying for God's word to be. That uh, I, I'll poke fun at somebody just as fast as, as the next person, and I'll, I'll tease somebody, and I, I can sometimes take it too far. And I want you to know, first of all, it's a sign of love, true love with me. If I'm picking on you, I want you to know that. If I'm not picking on you, you know, but I, if I pick, if I'm not picking on you, it might be because I might be worried that you're going to hurt me, but. Um, but if I'm picking on you, it's because I feel comfortable by doing that. And, and so I, I'll pick on you and, you know, I'll mess with you and I'll, I'll poke at you and stuff like that. Sometimes I can be guilty of, of just taking it too far. Sometimes I can be guilty of saying things that hurt. And, um, you know, and, and most of the times when we say those things, we don't really mean them that way. 
you know, but they get taken that way. Paul says, don't even say those things. If, if they don't come out of your mouth, they can't hurt the person they're aimed at. You need to be very careful of coarse jesting. Maybe you don't cuss. Maybe you don't sit around and tell dirty jokes. But, but you need to be careful what you say about others and say to others. And uh, even if it's under the label of joking, we need to be very careful about it. And so y'all pray for me. I want, I want to overcome that. And, uh, you know, and, and, and there's others we need to overcome other things. But y'all just pray for me on that. Now, they were reminded that there are three types of people that we're not to share, or that will not share an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, you look at verse 5, it says, For this you know that no whoremonger, no unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. He mentions three here again. Uh, we can take this whoremonger and just say fornicator, one who is caught up in fornication or sexual impurity. Uh, an unclean person, one that is just caught up in, uh, in sinfulness and wickedness. And it says a covetous man who is an idolater. I want you to notice that uh, these three almost mimic exactly the first list of three where he says that these things are not to be once named among you. And he says at the end of these verses, he says, and those who are doing these things, those who can be named as fornicators and unclean people and covetous people, he says those have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now listen, that's a solemn warning, I believe, to any child of God. It's a place where we need to stop and we need to do some reflection. Am I guilty of any of these things? Because if I am, this verse says that I have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, as we talk this morning, I'm not saying, have I ever slipped up and ever done this? I'm saying, am I constantly involved in one of these things? Am I ensnared in one of these sins? Now listen, I want to talk about what it means to be, um, you know, not be a part of this or have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This doesn't say that people who are guilty of these things will not go to heaven. That's not what this is saying at all. And we need to make that distinction. We're talking, he doesn't say that people who do these things are not going to go to heaven. He says they will have no inheritance in the kingdom of heaven and Christ and of God. And we know what the kingdom of heaven is. We've talked at length about the kingdom of heaven and the fact that this is talking about the comprehensive rule of God over his believers. There is a kingdom that God has set up. There's a kingdom that we are a part of right here, right now, and a kingdom that will be, uh, you know, of course, that, that, is, that is going to climax and when, when Christ comes back and when, uh, of course, we get to be a part of his ruling and reigning here on earth. And that is what it talks about or speaks of about the kingdom of heaven and of God. And I think that we can draw two conclusions here. That first of all, people who are habitually doing these things and not convicted of it, they need to check their salvation. If you can constantly be involved in any of these types of sins we've talked about today and don't feel bad about it, you need to do some serious evaluation on your salvation. It may be that you have no inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. But I think it also means that to save people who are guilty of such things, that if we don't watch and if we don't repent and don't turn away from them, that we're going to miss out on the inheritance in God's kingdom. In other words, I think there's going to be a great loss of rewards for, for children of God who are practicing and doing these things. Um, there's other places where it talks about that all of our works are going to be tried. You know, and, and they're going to be tried so as by fire. 
And the good things are going to be as precious metals. You know, the impurities will be burned away, but, but you know, it's going to come out as silver or gold. But then those other things, those bad works are going to be burned up. And whatever's left over, you know, it's, there's going to be a reward day. And some of us, once, uh, once the good is, is, uh, is tried by fire and the bad is tried by fire, most of us are going to come back with ashes and, and, uh, and not much of a reward left. And that's what we need to be very careful of. You know, I, I, there's a whole lot of talk about, you know, the crowns and all the, the, the rewards and stuff that the children of God have. Um, you know, really what I look forward to and what I think we all should be looking forward to is, is not on that day being able to say, look at all the rewards that I've gained, but look at all the rewards that I'm going to be able to lay at Jesus' feet. There's, there's an honorary, uh, I think, is a ceremony that's going to take place where God's children are going to be able to come and, and present their gifts, present their rewards before Christ. And those things are, are what we have earned through our service and faithfulness to God here on earth. And if we're not very careful, we're going to come empty-handed before Him. We're not going to have those rewards because uh, we're going to lose some of that inheritance that we should have as, as children of God. And uh, if we squander away our inheritance, we're not going to have much to present. I hope that makes sense, but I believe at least that's where that's pointing here in these verses. And finally, we're warned to separate ourselves from people who are like this. In verse 6 and 7, it says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. He says, Be not therefore partakers with them. In other words, don't you be guilty of these things. He says, But if you look around and your friends are doing this, you look around and those who surround you are a part of this, he says, You need to pull away from them. There needs to be a separation. I think one of the hardest things in a new Christian's life is the fact that he finds out very quickly that they, he needs to find a new crowd of friends. He needs to find a new circle of friends. Uh, we have a principle in, in RU that says, those who do not love the Lord will not help you serve the Lord. And if you gather yourself around people who are ungodly, if you gather around yourself, people around who are doing this stuff and saying these kind of things, it's not going to be long before you find yourself following in suit with them. We, we have to sometimes make separation hard separations between friends who are going to be bad influences to us. Now, Paul tells us, as with everything, there has to be a balance, okay? Because we can't pull ourselves completely out of the world. How could we we'd be a witness to those friends if we did? But there needs to be a place where we draw a line and say, I will be an influencer to you, but you're not going to be an influencer to me. There has to be those boundaries that are put up around those friendships. So, uh, we need to be very careful not to become partakers with them.